in a brand new series called Taste and See. Uh, this series is only going to be uh, three weeks um, because, believe it or not, after that, the Christmas season will be upon us. Um, there is uh, only a week and a half until Thanksgiving, and then it is uh, Christmas season. I can't fight it off any longer. Um, so uh, we're not going to be talking about Christmas yet, but that will happen in just a short time, uh, in just a few weeks. Um, now, if you were here last week, or if you saw or heard last week's sermon, um, you'll see that, yes, this is the second week in a row that I'm using Chick-fil-A as a sermon illustration. Uh, there's nothing on purpose about that. Uh, it just happened that way as a happy coincidence. Um, maybe it shows how much I love Chick-fil-A. Maybe the Lord is just trying to tell me something. Um, I'm not sure. But either way, uh, let's jump in. So, as I'm sure all of you are aware, uh, an all-out war broke out in our nation uh, just a few months ago in August between, of all things, two chicken sandwiches. Uh, in August, for the first time, Popeyes announced that they would be releasing in a nationwide launch a chicken sandwich to their menu. And that their chicken sandwich was going to be the best ever. In response, Chick-fil-A, on their main Twitter page, tweeted a picture uh, with one of their sandwiches. And it said, bun plus chicken plus pickles equals all the love for the original. Popeyes, in their official Twitter account, responded to this tweet with a snarky tweet of their own. That just said, y'all good? And a picture of their own chicken sandwich. And at that, the war was on. Um, Upon releasing their sandwich in August, within two weeks, Popeyes had sold out. They immediately faced long lines, high traffic, overall mayhem. The response to this chicken sandwich was far beyond anything that they had imagined. And so again, within two weeks, all of their locations were sold out, and it would take them two months to restock, uh, to to get back in stock. Now, during this two-month period, um, according to a number of interviews, many of the Popeye's employees were relieved. They were delighted, because for two months, without that chicken sandwich on the menu, they got a break from the mayhem. Most, if not all, of the franchises were vastly unprepared in terms of inventory, but they were also unprepared with staffing. During this frenzy, employees would be working long hours with hardly any breaks at all. There was one particular restaurant in Dallas where uh, the franchisee was disciplined because a nine-year-old boy was spotted working in their kitchen. Apparently, one of the employees brought their son to work, and there was so much going on, it was so busy, that they put an apron on the kid and said, make sandwiches, son. They put him to work. Customers, of course, were not so happy when the sandwich sold out. Um, Most people complained that Popeyes shouldn't have started this war if they were going to be unprepared in the first place. But perhaps no customer was more disgruntled and expressing his anger than a man named Craig Barr. Right now, Craig Barr is in the process of suing 
Popeyes. There is pending litigation. He is suing them for running out of the sandwich. And he claims that the company conducted false advertising, deceptive business practices, and wasting his time. According to his testimony, he claims he, count, he wasted countless time trying to find a location where the sandwich was still in stock, taking at least 10 trips to various locations. And that one location had a damaged parking lot that ended up messing up the rims on his Mercedes. So he claims that Popeyes purposefully overhyped their product and underdelivered quantity in order to increase popularity and garner attention. And so he is seeking $5,000 in damages. And this case will actually be going to trial in January. In Houston, Texas, a group of customers was told that the sandwich had sold out. And one of the customers pulled out a gun to threaten the employees that they had better get him a sandwich or else. Thankfully, in this particular case, no one got hurt and his threat was not carried out. Texas is apparently the worst uh, for Popeye's. The same uh, no one was hurt cannot be said about a, a separate altercation in Maryland earlier this month on the day that Popeye's began resuming sales of their sandwiches, November 4th. Uh, in this particular case, a man tried to cut in line in order to make sure that he got a sandwich before they ran out. The other customers, of course, protested, and a fight broke out between the man who had cut in line and um, another man standing in line. A knife was pulled, and ironically, the guy who tried to cut got cut. A better way of saying it would be stabbed. He got stabbed and later died in the hospital. That is right. All of this over a chicken sandwich. Uh, just out of curiosity, has anyone had it? The Popeye's chicken sandwich? No one? All right, me neither. Uh, I have no idea if it is worth the hype. I have no idea if it is that good. I can say with confidence it is probably not good enough to murder someone. Probably. <laughs> Here's why I bring all this up. It's not to discuss whether Popeye's chicken sandwich is better than Chick-fil-A's, though all of us as believers in Jesus know that it's not, because that's the Lord's chicken, and no one is better than Chick-fil-A. Uh, the point here is to use this as a visual for where we are as a people. We are so starved for satisfaction that we'd murder someone over a sandwich just to get a taste of the good life. This is kind of similar to what we talked about in our last series, The Opposite of Epic, that we want so badly to find something that will finally satisfy us. People are literally dying because they want a taste of something, anything, that will satisfy them. Now we, of course, know the truth. We know what Scripture says. We know, intellectually, that only the Lord can satisfy the Lord is kind of like the original Chick-fil-A sandwich. It's the goat. 
greatest of all time. Jesus, forgive me for using that analogy about you. We, we know, right, we know in our minds that only God can satisfy. But if we're being really, truly honest, I mean really honest, how many of us are actually satisfied? Truly satisfied. Isn't it true that we still long for the things of this world? Isn't it true that so many of us still struggle with addictions, with old habits? Isn't it true that so many of us battle with discontentment? Isn't it true that many of us, even though we are supposed to, we struggle to spend time in the Word every day, to spend time in prayer, even though we know intellectually that that's what our spirit needs? And in the midst of this, the Holy Spirit beckons us, taste and see that the Lord is good. He offers himself to us, promising to satisfy us, but in spite of that, many of us are still wondering, I wonder what the Popeye sandwich tastes like. The fact is, we have a taste problem. We, we have a desire problem. We have a gratitude problem. And the Lord wants to correct those things in order that we might actually experience Him in a deeply satisfying way. That we would not long for substitutes. But in order for Him to do that, He must repair our taste. So let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 34. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are uh, Bibles that we give away on the table in the back. Please take one if you don't have one. It is yours to keep. You can also follow along on your phone or other electronic device. And also the words will be behind me on the screen uh, as I read. Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man cried and the Lord heard him. And saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cries for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, 
But the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So, let's begin by talking about what is offered in this psalm. In a moment, we'll get to the context of the psalm, the context of why it is being written, the background of all that's going on. But first, let's start with the hook. There's a great deal that's being said in the psalm, but in verse 8, we have the tweet. Remember how the Great Chicken War was started. It was started with two tweets. One by Chick-fil-A and one from Popeye's. And in both tweets, they had a picture of the sandwich that they offered. Now, I don't know if this is the way that you think when you're watching advertising or or you see any type of ad for a restaurant. This is kind of how I think. Uh, They'll they'll show a picture or a video of their their signature burger, their signature sandwich, whatever it is that they're advertising And they'll show in this advertisement the money shot. They'll show zoomed in, center stage. There's this burger that's dripping with flavor. The cheese is melting just enough to be softly uh, cascading around the edge of the sandwich. The bun is reflecting light like the moon reflects the sun. As much as an inanimate uh, object can be, The sandwich is posing. And do you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, well, if it actually looked anything like that in real life, I would definitely buy that. But then you actually walk into the McDonald's to buy the Big Mac, and they hand it to you in this greasy box, and the lettuce is wilting, uh, the bun sure is not shining, And the only thing that's dripping is the condiments because the 17-year-old kid in the back that's making it just took the condiment shakers and went and just shoved it along the line. And you pick it up and you're like, boy, this is a letdown from the commercial, isn't it? It does, yes. That's special sauce. Um, It's kind of like when I was in college. Um, I went to this school called Liberty University, and there were these events twice a year. Um, They were called College for a Weekend. And, And at these events, what would happen is prospective high school students that they were trying to recruit to come to the school would come and spend a weekend there at Liberty, experiencing college. And there was something that happened every time all of the College for a Weekenders came to campus. The dining hall served the best food. We'd walk into the dining hall and we'd immediately know that it was college for a weekend. Not only because it was packed, but also because all of a sudden everything was perfectly clean. At all of the buffets there was really, really nice food. We ate like kings and told all of the prospective students, it's not really like this. This is a lie. This is an act. Because as soon as that weekend was over, the normal food would be served. And the grumpy grumpy, uh, lunch ladies that they hid in the back during college for a weekend came back to the front to continue serving the food. Advertising, if it does what it's supposed to do, makes our mouth water. 
It's supposed to make us want to drop everything that we're doing and go straight to the drive-thru. It's supposed to make us drool. Every advertising, with its perfect lighting and its supermodel burger, is saying to us, taste and see. Taste and see that this burger is good. This is what you need. This is what you really want. Verse 8 is an advertisement where it says to us, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. This is an advertisement, but not in a staged, best foot forward, what you see isn't really what you get type of a way. This is an invitation to come and experience for yourself the goodness of God. To taste and see that the Lord actually is good. Notice that this is not an invitation to learn facts about God. This is not to hear stories about things that he's done or what he's like. This is not an invitation to just close your eyes and have faith. The invitation is to have a first-hand account of God's goodness. I've never had any interest in going to Popeye's. It's, it's never been on my radar before. But in the midst of the whole chicken war, something happened to a lot of people. A lot of people saw all the hype. They saw how excited other people got. They, they watched the, the taste testing videos on YouTube. They saw the long lines. They, they heard the reports about the chicken sandwich being sold out. And so what happened when Popeye's finally restocked and relaunched this month? What happened was lines were out the door. Because people just had to taste and see for themselves what the hype was all about. It it wasn't enough to hear about what other people experienced. They wanted it for themselves. And that is the invitation that David offers. Most of us have heard stories about God's goodness in other people's lives. Most of us have, to- have been told about all the good things that he does. But many of us are saying, I want to know what the hype is all about for myself. The problem is, many people have shown up to church in, on, on various Sundays in various places, asked about God's goodness, and walked out feeling like the church was sold out. Or, at various times, they've prayed, asked God for a taste, and felt like God was saying, we'll restock soon enough. Just be patient. Many of us have or currently are struggling through a difficult season of life. And God's goodness seems distant at best. And maybe we've tasted it before, we know that it's there, but for some reason it seems like the well has run dry. So, has God run out of goodness? How do we taste it and and be satisfied? That will be the journey that we'll be taking over this three-week series. If you're taking notes, here's point number one. There isn't a shortage of God's goodness. 
There isn't a shortage of God's goodness. Recently, I was praying, reading my Bible, as I do, 14 times a day, as all holy people should and ought. (laughs) I'm kidding, of course. That didn't really happen. But you should read your Bible and pray every day. Uh, Listen to the last sermon series if you need to know why. Um, So I was reading, and this was the psalm that I was uh, actually going through in my quiet time. And I came to that verse, in in verse 8, that says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And it felt like in that moment, man, yes, exactly, this is exactly what I need to read. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And I'm reading and I'm nodding. I need the goodness of the Lord. And so I started praying, Lord, I need your goodness. That's, what, that's what's going to break me out of this struggle. Lord, fill my life with your goodness so that I can taste and see that you are good. And in the moment, that prayer seemed to make sense based on this verse. But then almost as soon as I had finished praying that, Lord, fill my life with your goodness, I immediately felt foolish. I was asking the Lord to do something that he is already doing in great abundance. I began to think about all of the ways that he has blessed me. First and foremost, he has given me eternal salvation in his grace. And even if he never gave me anything else in this life, he would still be infinitely good and that would be enough. But on top of that, he's also given me so much more. I have the greatest wife that anyone could ever imagine. She's waiting for it. She's like, this is my moment. Yes, speak about me. I do have the greatest wife that I could possibly imagine having. She's the best partner. She is the best support and encourager. My best friend. I always want to be with her. Maybe I'm codependent on her. That's a separate issue. But she's wonderful. I have two beautiful, healthy children. I have a great job. I I work at my favorite place in the entire universe at Notre Dame. I, I get to do ministry here. I get to be fulfilling a lifelong dream. And, and I am not, um, uh, I'm not ignoring the fact that there's so many people, or, or there are very few people, I should say, who ever get to say, I am doing what I was made to do. I'm, I'm living out my dream right now. There's not very many people that get to say that. On top of that, I, I have a beautiful house Bigger than what me or my wife grew up in as kids. My bills are paid. I have two cars. I eat bacon every single Sunday. And my beard game is very strong. And I'm actually sitting here asking God to bring me some goodness to taste. What more could I possibly ask for? The problem isn't that there is a shortage of God's goodness. I'll get to in a few minutes what the problem actually is, but it's not that there is some kind of a lack. Look at the verse that directly follows what we have just been reading in verse 8. Verses 9 and 10, uh, uh, I'm sorry, David says this, O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack 
no good thing. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Those who fear him have, have no lack. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now, I, I know that some of you may be thinking, uh, I don't really feel like that's true because I can list some pretty good things that I lack. But this is not intending to promise us that life is always going to be good or comfortable or that we'll always have what we want. What it's promising is that God's goodness is always going to be on full blast, whether we realize it or not. Um, I said earlier that we would look at the context of this psalm. So turn to the very beginning of this psalm in the title. The title before verse 1 tells us what the occasion is for this psalm. It says, a psalm of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. Okay, what is that referring to? What story is taking place? This is actually found in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 21. The end of 1 Samuel chapter 21, uh, beginning in verse 10, uh, going through... Uh, Chapter 22, verse 2. Now, leading up to this, what we find is David on the run. Okay, so King Saul is in power. Saul is, is the king of Israel. David has been appointed by God to be the one to take over the kingship. Saul is not happy about that. And so Saul is actively trying to kill David. Just a a chapter earlier, we find a story where Saul chases David through the palace, throwing spears at him. Okay, he is trying to stick him to the wall. And Saul's son, Jonathan, has warned him about the impending doom. And so David actually has to take off running. David is now a refugee. He is on the run, trying to run for his life. So, in 1 Samuel 21, beginning in verse 10, it says, David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Uh, in another translation, the name Achish is also Abimelech. And the servants of Achish, or Abimelech, said to him, Isn't this David the king of the land? Didn't they sing to one another of him in dances, Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his ten thousands? In other words, here comes David, he's on the run, he goes to this place called Gath, and the king, Abimelech, starts to welcome him in. David shows up and he's like, hey, I need a place to hide. And so David initially is led into the fold, but then the servants all start talking, right? And they're looking at each other and they're like, I I think I know who this guy is. Isn't this David, the mighty warrior? Isn't this David who slew Goliath? Isn't this David who all of the Israelites talk about as he is the man? Isn't that this guy? Why are we letting him hide here? Verse 12, And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Abimelech, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands made marks on the doors of the gate, let his spittle run down his beard. And Abimelech said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen, that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? 
So David, after he hears the scuttlebutt, knows that his life is in danger. They know that he's a mighty warrior, so he starts acting like he has lost his mind. He starts making marks on the walls and spitting down his beard and I'm sure dancing around and acting like he's gone completely insane. And so Abimelech buys the act and is like, why'd you guys bring me a madman? I've got plenty of those. I feel that way in my house. If someone brought a crazy person to my house, I'd be like, why are you bringing a crazy person? I've got two already. And so David escapes. Chapter 21, verse 1, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who is in debt, everyone who is bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men. So David goes out into hiding, and he's in this cave in a place called Adullam. And, and his crew hears where he's at. And so you've got all of these people who are on his side, which means they're against King Saul. They begin to gather to him. After trying to find refuge in Gath, now he's in hiding and there are 400 men with him. It tells us that these were people who were in debt, people who have lost everything. That is the occasion of this psalm. He's in hiding for his life. He's surrounded by guys who are in hiding for their lives. They are at the end of their rope. This sucks. With that in mind, consider again the words of verses 9 and 10 of Psalm 34. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. How could he possibly say that at a moment like this? What did he have that we are missing? Earlier I stated that the problem isn't that God's goodness is lacking. So what is the actual problem that we face? This is point number two. We fail to taste God's goodness because of damaged taste buds. David is singing this song, this psalm, out loud. He's singing this out loud to 400 men as they hide in this cave. And in doing so, he is doing something very important. You see, he knows that these men are looking to him for answers. They are tired, they are hungry, they are filled with fear. These men have likely lost loved ones, they have lost homes, they've lost possessions and positions. They are at the end of their rope, and David is their leader. He's the one that all of them have stuck their necks out for. And they are here because they took his side instead of King Saul. And they're looking to him as they're hiding out in this cave and they're saying, Okay, boss, what do you have for us? Look at what he says in verses 11 through 13. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. 
What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So he looks out at this elite group of warriors, these Navy SEALs, and he says, Okay, children, let me teach you. And he says, Okay, who here by a show of hands desires a life of many days and wants to see good? And he puts up a picture of a chicken sandwich and says, Y'all good? Let me show you this tweet. He tells them to pursue this. They need to keep their tongues from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. Now, why would he tell them that? He tells them that because he knows that in order for us to be able to taste the goodness of the Lord, their lips, their tongues have to remain uncompromised. If their tongue is filled with evil, it will not be able to taste the goodness of God. Think about it like this. Perhaps you or someone you know has been or is now a heavy smoker. I'm talking about several packs a day. Now, the thing about that is that what it does, among other things, is it affects your taste buds, right? You know when you're watching someone who's a heavy smoker eat, they put a lot of seasoning on their food, they'll drink their coffee black, they'll use a lot of Tabasco, and you're like, how can you possibly do that? Well, it's because their taste buds have been damaged. The more you smoke, the less you are actually able to taste. So the food that you begin to eat begins to taste more and more bland. It loses its flavor. Not because the food itself is now flavorless, but because of the damage that's been done to your tongue, you are now able to experience that flavor less than you were before. So smoking affects, it damages the taste buds. With that in mind, thinking about the goodness of God, the problem is not that God's goodness is lacking. The problem is that our taste buds, spiritually speaking, are compromised by sin. They've been burned. If we're filling our hearts with all the wrong things, God can be feeding us His goodness all day long and we won't even taste it. Imagine if someone's taste buds were so damaged by smoking that they literally couldn't taste a thing. Imagine that you then put a Chick-fil-A number one and a Popeye's imitation sandwich in front of them and ask that person which one is better. They would just shrug because they can't taste either one. So it hit me as I was praying my way through this psalm That it was foolish to ask God to rain down goodness so that I could taste it. The, The problem is, I have spent so much time filling myself with the wrong stuff, I can't taste the goodness that He is already raining down every single day. Now, it, it, it is also possible that perhaps you're going through a rough patch in your life, and it's not that your pain is caused by sin. 
And you're just waiting for God to change your situation. That, that's a separate sort of issue. But again, remember the context of the psalm. David is singing and writing these things in the midst of a pretty awful situation. But what he had was perspective. And, and we'll get to that in a moment. So the problem is our taste buds, spiritually speaking, have been damaged. So where does that leave us? Is it too late for us? Are our damaged taste buds always going to prevent us from tasting and seeing that the Lord is good? Point number three. The Lord can repair our taste as we pursue Him. In the immortalized words of three days grace, it's not too late, it's never too late. You see, the Lord can repair the damage that has been done. He is a great physician. He heals our hearts. He purifies and He sanctifies us as we follow Him. As we pursue Him more every day, He conforms us to the image of Christ. That's why the spiritual disciplines that we talked about in the last series are so important. Because it is in pursuing the Lord through these things that we can begin to experience this type of healing. Our ability to taste the goodness of the Lord is going to be directly proportional to how much we are actually pursuing Him instead of other things. So, how does this healing actually take place? Well, we've already talked about the first important piece of this puzzle. David told his men to keep their mouths from evil. In other words, we need to stop smoking. Now, I'm speaking in a spiritual sense here. If you smoke cigarettes, that's up to you. You do you. It is not a moral issue. It's not immoral to smoke. Is it smart? Uh, I don't know. Would you save a ton of money and would your body thank you if you quit? Probably yes. But that's not the issue. Again, I'm talking in a spiritual sense. And in a spiritual sense, we need to stop smoking. Whatever pet sins we keep alive in our hearts need to be put on the altar Things like pornography, greed, self-harm, gossip, sexual sin. The list goes on and on and on. As we continue to light those fires, as we continue to breathe in that smoke, our taste buds are continuing to be singed. Now listen, I know that it's hard to quit anything cold turkey, smoking included. But healthy steps need to be taken in that direction so that the process can lead to freedom. And if you're trying to figure out how that process works, that's a discussion I'd love to have with you. But the second thing is related to the first. You see, we don't just quit something, we have to replace it with something else. 
If we just try quitting something, it will leave a void. And something just as bad or worse will fill that void. Jesus talked about this at length in the Gospels. So David began this psalm by telling us what we have to start with. Verse 1, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. His praise will continually be in my mouth. This, my friends, is what will actually repair our damaged taste buds. Charles Spurgeon, when he wrote about this psalm, he pointed out that in this verse, David doesn't merely have the praise of the Lord in his heart. He has it in his mouth. That means he is speaking it out loud. Remember, he is with 400 men who are all looking to him. And what he does is he sings this song. He leads them. In that moment, likely as much for them as for himself. As much for their benefit as much for his benefit. A lot of times the sermons that I preach are the same way. I'm saying this stuff for me every bit as much and sometimes more than I'm saying it for anyone else. But the reason that David can taste the Lord's goodness, even as he hides in this cave, is because the Lord's goodness is always in his mouth. He's always got it there, so it's always fresh. Think about it like this. I carry this with me pretty much everywhere. It goes with me every day. I carry it around at work. I carry it around here. It's always in my backpack, and it's filled with ice water. Now, I don't know how you feel about drinking water. I used to hate drinking water because I would say there's no taste. There's no flavor. I need something that will actually satisfy my taste buds, and uh, water doesn't do it. And so a few years ago, when I was pretty much drinking nothing but juice or tea or lemonade or whatever, um, I began to use those Mio packets, you know, the water flavoring things, and I'd squirt a bunch of it in my water so that it was uh, a deep shade of neon color, and I would have water, and I'd go, you know what, it's water, okay? Uh, My body will filter out the rest of that stuff, and I'll be fine. But little by little, I was squirting less and less of this Mio into the water. And a strange thing happened as I weaned myself off of that and began drinking pure water every day. The strange thing that happened was I began to develop a taste for water. Believe it or not, water does actually have taste. There is actually flavor. And you can taste if you're if your, your mouth is so trained, you can taste the difference between good water and bad water. Okay? I work at Notre Dame, a place that I love more than anywhere else. However, I refuse to drink the water on that campus. It is awful. Okay? It tastes like I am licking a penny. It's terrible. The only way that I'll ever drink water from there is if it comes out of those blue jugs. Uh, The thing is, the more I began to drink water, the more it would refresh me. The more I'd crave it, the more I'd want it, the the more I could tell the difference between good and pure water and subpar water. And now, it's pretty much all I drink. 
And when I'm thirsty, I want what's best for me. I'm not judging any of you, okay? If you don't drink water, don't take this as judgment. I'm just inviting you to join me in this and know there's nothing like a glass of ice water. So good. See, the thing is, that's also how it is with the Lord. We are so used to obeying our thirst and drinking Sprite that when we drink water, we say, how is this supposed to satisfy me? There's no high fructose corn syrup in this. But Sprite cannot satisfy you the way that water can. You were made to drink water. In the same way, there is nothing in the world that can satisfy you like God can. There's nothing in the world that can satisfy the thirst of your soul like God can. And the less you are filling yourself with the taste of this world, and the more you are filling yourself with the goodness of Jesus, the better and better it will taste. You know that term, acquired taste? Some things are acquired tastes. Well, in a sense, the goodness of God can be like that. Our broken, damaged hearts need to acquire the taste of the goodness of God. And that takes effort. It's a process. Look at how it's written in verse 14. He says... Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So again, there's that first idea of turning away. Okay, we're putting down the spiritual cigarette, so to speak. We've stopped smoking. We're turning away. But it's not just turning away. It's not just getting rid of something. He says, turn away from evil and do good. He says, seek peace and pursue it. Pursue it. It, it, It's it's not just going to fall in our laps. We've got to chase it. We've got to chase down peace. God says, pursue me. Pursue me. Just like any good relationship, there will be pursuit. In any healthy romance, there will be pursuit. And so we are to pursue peace. We have to run after it we got to chase it down and tackle it. I'm not saying that I'm going to do that to you, though I might. Never mind. Moving on. She goes, you're so stupid. <laughs> this is a process, is the point. It's not something that happens overnight. We don't acquire a taste or achieve something of real value in the snap of a finger. Again, that was the point of... The last series. The process of pursuing the goodness of God is something that we have to commit ourselves to every day. Here's another thing that we have to learn. We cannot do this by ourselves. Part of developing this is done in community. Look at verse 3 of this psalm. He says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. 
So again, he's looking out at this group of people and he's inviting them. He says, exalt the name of the Lord with me. Let's magnify him together. The reason why this is so important is because sometimes I need to preach the gospel to myself. Sometimes I need to remind myself of the truth. I need to refocus. I need to pursue. But sometimes I'm too tired to do that. Sometimes I don't have it in me. Sometimes I'm at the brink and you know what I need? I need somebody else to come alongside me and put their arm around me and say, here's the truth. I see you're struggling, dude. Here's the truth. Let me help you out. We are not in any way, shape, or form designed to do this alone. Sometimes I am too tired to preach the gospel to my own heart. And I need somebody else to do it for me. That's the reason why church is so important. The reason why the body of Christ is so important. The reason why we can't just seek God from bedside Baptist. Because we need other people. We need a tribe of people alongside of us doing this together. And finally, we need to have eternal perspective. Look at verse 19. He says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. See, the ironic thing here is that we are guaranteed affliction. Perhaps you have heard through some measure that if you pursue God, everything will be good. Perhaps you have heard the message that if you muster up enough faith, God is going to bless you. Perhaps you have been told that if you are obedient, if you have enough faith, if you are following in the right way, every day can be Friday. Smile. God loves you. My friends, that is hogwash. I am sure if we asked men like the Apostle Paul, who was shipwrecked, more than once, who was beaten within an inch of his life several times, who was imprisoned, enslaved, and a host of other things. Are you living your best life now, Apostle Paul? He would say, yes. I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It is guaranteed here. You will be afflicted. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But it's not just affliction that we're promised. We're also promised deliverance. He says, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. You will experience affliction and you will be delivered. And then you're going to experience affliction again. And then you're going to be delivered. And then you're going to experience affliction again. And then you're going to be delivered. And there's this cycle that continues until, until we get there. And the affliction is over. And there on the other side... When we are with him for eternity, all of the light and momentary afflictions that Paul talks about will all be worth it. 
C.S. Lewis, when he talked about uh, looking forward to heaven, he said, when I, when I get there, it'll be like I'm waking up from a nightmare. It'll be like I'm waking up from a nightmare and every terrible thing that I experienced on earth will just vanish. I'm sure all of us can think of examples where we've had a nightmare. Um, I don't know if I've shared this with you, but uh, last week I had a terrible nightmare. My, my family was gone. Um, they abandoned me um, to go uh, to New York, left me at home alone for nine days. Okay? I don't do well when I'm alone for nine days or nine minutes, really. I was having full conversations with the dog. Two-way conversations, might I add. Speaking to the dog and the dog speaking back to me. I get nuts. But I was lonely. And the first day that she left, this is so sad. The first day that she left, I, I went to sleep that night. And I had an awful nightmare. I had this nightmare where, where I, I was laying in bed. And I could see myself laying in bed. And in the dream, I hear a noise downstairs. And I run downstairs, and I see someone running out the front door. And in the dream, I was thinking to myself, they've just kidnapped my daughter. And so I'm running around the house, screaming her name. I'm looking for her, and there's this feeling of terror. I mean terror that, that my daughter has been taken. She's now gone. And I run out the house, and I'm looking, and I don't see them anywhere. And in hysterics in this dream, I, I call Allison, and I'm like, I think someone took Marisol. I, I think she was taken. I think she's kidnapped. I'm freaking out. And she's like, what are you talking about? She's in the van with me. And I'm like, what? She's like, she's, she's right here. And I can hear her in the background on the phone. She's like, you're mistaken. Go back to bed. And I woke up. And there was this feeling of relief. It's just a dream. My daughter's safe. No one's taken her. Everything is fine. And within minutes, that terror that I felt washed away in peace. C.S. Lewis says that's what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. That everything that we experienced in this life that seems so awful will vanish like a bad dream. David says we must have eternal perspective. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So until we reach the finish line, we must keep his praise in our mouths continually. The more that we do that, the more we'll taste how good it is. And the more we will keep coming back for more. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, that you offer us goodness that you offer us the privilege to taste and see. God, I pray for the people that are here, for the people that are listening online or watching the video. Lord, if there are any who have not tasted, who have not seen, who have not experienced the goodness of God, Lord, I pray that tonight would be the night where they would say, I'm ready to leave everything else all behind. 
to give myself completely to you, Lord. Thank you that you offer the forgiveness of all of our sins, that there is nothing that catches you off guard, nothing too great, nothing you didn't already die for. And God, if any are in need of that grace, let tonight be the day that they grasp it. Lord, I pray for all of us. I pray that every one of us will commit ourselves to pursuing you, to chasing after peace, to filling our lives with the pursuit of Jesus. And as a result, Lord, I pray that we would acquire that taste, that you would repair our damaged taste buds so that slowly but surely, more and more, we can taste and see that you are good. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand, uh, Josh will play our closing song.